verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. May God help us hear his word. Hey, morning everyone. Good to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, as Susan read, we are in... 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. I want to begin with a question that we can kind of think about for a minute. You know, do we struggle with discouragement or doubt? Do we struggle with discouragement or doubt? You know, some of us may, may do so and, and we recognize that, but some of us may struggle with discouragement or doubt, but we don't realize that we're actually struggling with discouragement or doubt. We, we don't really know what that looks like. So some, some examples of what discouragement might look like. Uh, gathering on Sunday with God's people becomes really difficult you know, because we feel that you know, you know, we, we gather in a room where people all seem well put together, happy, they have smiles on their faces, and we don't feel like we fit in. That's one example. Another example is we come to God's Word and it seems really cold to us. You know, we, we, we read, but it just doesn't speak to our hearts. Another example of discouragement or doubt is you know, we, we find it hard to praise God. Uh, we, we find it hard to give thanks to Him. Or you know, maybe we just find it hard to pray. We, we, we feel far from God. And every time we come to pray, our, our hearts are racing in many, many different directions and we're just really distracted the whole time. You know, when we struggle with discouragement or doubt, we feel that the cup is always half empty. You know, we, we, we look around us and we, we're just upset because we feel that nothing is matching our expectations. Uh, even, the, even things that could be encouraging turn out to be discouraging because we, we only look at what's not there, right? The cup is always half empty. So we complain, you know, we complain about our lives, we complain about other people, we complain about our circumstances. Uh, so this is what it could look like if you struggle with discouragement or doubt. And, and I think many of us can relate to some of these struggles. Right? I, I think whether now or sometime in our lives, we, we can say that we've, we have struggled with discouragement or doubt. Or maybe we know someone now who is struggling with discouragement or doubt and we're wondering how do we speak to them? How, how can we encourage them? And admittedly, we, we tend not to talk about such struggles. Now, maybe it's because we are embarrassed to talk about some of these difficult things. Maybe we're afraid of appearing weak uh, to others. Or maybe we're afraid of being judged by others when we tell them that we are struggling with these things, struggling with our faith. So we often tend to keep discouragements and doubts to ourselves. Right? We, we try to suffer in silence and kind of process these things on our own. You know, it, may, it may surprise us to hear that the Bible speaks very openly about discouragement and doubt. I think the Bible doesn't mask the difficulties of living the life of faith. You know, just, just listen to these words in the Psalms. 
You know, the Psalms are wonderful if, if, you, if, you're, rest, you know, if you're struggling to express your emotions. Uh, the Psalms are a wonderful place to turn to. You know, Psalm 77, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Psalm 22, Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. I think those of us who struggle with insomnia, perhaps, I think we can relate to Psalm 22. I find no rest at night. You know, sometimes our struggle with discouragement or doubt has to do with our lack of assurance. You know, we, we, feel, we feel far from God, and, and we wonder if we can actually draw near to Him. And we, we question, perhaps, if our faith is even real. You know, as we've seen so far in 1 John, John says we can know our faith is real if our lives are marked by these characteristics, you know, things like believing God's truth about Jesus, another characteristic like loving God's people, and another characteristic, obeying God. So John is defining for us what true faith looks like. And by defining what is a true follower of Jesus, the Apostle John is aiming to do two things. The first thing, he is afflicting the comfortable. The second thing, he's also comforting the afflicted. Now, he's afflicting the comfortable, and the comfortable need to be afflicted because there is such a thing as false assurance. You know, that's, that's, that's what John is dealing with, with the false teachers that have troubled this church in Ephesus. You know, some of us may be complacent about our spiritual condition. You know, we, we assume that we are spiritually okay when in fact we are not. You know, Jesus himself warned about the, the danger of spiritual complacency. You know, Jesus said these words, right? Many will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord. But then Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And so John has to say to us, if, if we believe God's truth, or rather, if, if we don't believe God's truth about Jesus, if, if we don't love God's people, if, if we don't obey God, then we shouldn't think that we are God's children. Right? So, so John, in this letter, deals with the danger of false assurance, so afflicting the comfortable, afflicting the complacent. But, but here in this passage, John does something different. He, he sees that there's a need to comfort the afflicted. You know, some of us don't struggle with complacency, but, but we struggle with discouragement. And then we struggle with doubt. You know, we, we, we know God's children should believe. We know God's children should love. We, we know God's children should obey. But then we look at our own lives. And what do we see? We, we see imperfection. And we see failure. You know, many of us come on Sundays after perhaps a, a week-long struggle to believe, to love, and, and to obey. I, I know even in this past week, I've struggled to, to love my two sons, not to be impatient with them, not to yell at them when they don't do their schoolwork, but to be patient and loving towards them. I've struggled this past week just to do that. You know, we, we, we see stuff in our hearts, you know, in, in our deepest inward thoughts, our motives, our desires, you know, we, we see all that that no one else can see. And, and, and we know how far short we fall 
of, of God's standards, right? You know, love, obey, believe. And then we look at our own lives and we think, oh, wow, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think that looks like me. Our heart knows things about ourselves that are unknown to others. We, we see our own sin. We realize that we, we don't match up to the standards of God. We see unbelief. We, we see the lack of love in our own lives. We, we see our own disobedience as we fall into repeated sins again and again. So that's why John, in, in, in this passage, look at verse 20, our hearts condemns us. Our hearts condemn us. You know, Claire and I finally got round to watching Crazy Rich Asians last weekend. You know, I, I think in this, you know, this is a recurring theme in our sermons. We're going to just quote from Crazy Rich Asians while, while it's popular. So we watched Crazy Rich Asians last weekend. Uh, and one of the most striking scenes for me in the movie was, you know, when, okay, I did a spoiler here. So when Eleanor, the, the mother, you know, the tiger mom, Eleanor, Eleanor Young, you know, she, she meets her, boy, uh, her son's girlfriend, Rachel, on the stairs. You know, some of you have watched the movie, you remember that scene. So as, as Rachel is kind of coming down the stairs, Eleanor meets her midway up the stairs, and Eleanor has this brief conversation with Rachel, you know, her son's girlfriend. And she, she looks at Rachel in the eyes you know, with this really steely glare. And then she says to Rachel, you are not good enough and you will never be good enough. Right, do you remember the scene? <laughs> yes, no? <laughs> right, it's, it's, a, it's a particular striking scene in the movie, right, where Eleanor just says that you are not good enough. No, friends, our hearts say the same thing to us. Right, do, do you realize when we look at our own lives and, and we see our struggles, we see our imperfections, we, we see our discouragements, and our hearts say to us, you are not good enough. And you will never be good enough. Our heart is like a tiger mom, right? So that's why John, John says, when our hearts condemn us, how shall we reassure our hearts? How should we reassure our hearts? How can we fight discouragement and doubt? You know, how can we be sure that we truly belong to God? So two points for us to think about from this passage this morning. Number one, we can be sure because God assures us. You know, verse 20 says these amazing words. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and, and He knows everything. So John says, whenever your heart condemns you, don't just listen to your heart. We should look to God for help when we face discouragement and doubt. It's, it's easy to turn inwards and focus on ourselves. And, and as, as a result, we lose sight of God. The more we worry about our discouragement and doubts, the less we actually look to God. Now, now, to be clear, the Bible does call us to examine ourselves. You know, but biblical self-examination is different from so morbid introspection. There is an important difference. So biblical self-examination looks at ourselves 
but not just at ourselves. It looks at ourselves in light of God's grace and transforming power. God is always the focus, not just ourselves. Introspection, on the other hand, just looks at ourselves, full stop. Introspection just focuses on ourselves, what we can do in our strength. Introspection just focuses on our struggles, our circumstances, our weaknesses, our imperfections. That's it. You know, in- introspection is like, you, you, you know, you, you walk, right? And have you ever tried walking by just staring at your shoes? You won't get very far, right? And you probably trip over a lot of things, right? You imagine just walking and just looking at your shoes the whole time. Right? I'm getting really close to the edge here. <laughs> right? I mean, it just doesn't work. The introspection is like that, right? We just, it's like walking by just staring at the little imperfections on your shoes, noticing every stain, noticing every crease on your shoes, and that's all you see. Biblical self-examination walks, looks down, but looks up towards God because He is greater than our hearts. Biblical self-examination leads us to give praise and thanks to God. Introspection leads us to despair. Now, and, and, and our hearts may be absolutely right about our sin. Right? Our hearts might not be telling lies. Our hearts may be telling the truth about our lives. Yes, Eugene, you struggle. You struggle with impatience. You struggle with lack of love. You struggle with unbelief. You struggle with discouragement. But remember, God is greater than our hearts. So regardless of what our heart says to us, what God says to us and about us matters more. Because what ultimately counts is not what others think about us. What ultimately counts is not what we think about ourselves. But what ultimately counts is what God thinks about us. And God is the foundation of our assurance. And He speaks the gospel of grace to us. So so we need to hear what God says. And in, in, in 1 John, we have a couple of examples of that, right? One, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, hear what God says. And, and we need to hear what God says about us. You know, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given, given to us that we of all people should be called children of God. Friends, do we hear what God says about us? Have we, have we stopped listening to God? If all we do is listen to the condemnation of our hearts, then we will get discouraged. You know, the, the famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, you know, he gives us this helpful advice. I love this quote from the book. It says, The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. 
Have you realized that the most that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And this sounds a bit weird. So he goes on to explain this from Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is a, is a wonderful psalm about talking to yourself. The psalmist in Psalm 42 speaks God's truth to himself. There's this repeated, phrase, repeated verse in this psalm that says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? You know, that's what he's doing. The psalmist is talking to himself. Hey, why, why are you cast down? Why are you discouraged? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then the psalmist talks to himself, right? He says, hey, hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Friends, do we, do we just speak discouragement to ourselves? Are we just listening to our condemning hearts and, and allowing our hearts to kind of speak discouragement to us all the time? Psalm 42 says, no, no, speak to yourself the truth of God. Hope in God. Hope in God. You know, you, you might ask, hey, Eugene, I, I, I know that, but, you know, I, I really struggle to even speak the truth to myself. I, I can't even get there, right? I, I, I know what I should do, but I, I can't even get there. What should I do? Ah, then we need others to come alongside us and speak the truth into our lives, which is exactly what John is doing here for us in writing First John. You know, this is one of the reasons why we exist as a church. You know, the, the church, when we gather on Sundays, we're not a gathering of nicely dressed people, well put together people who have impeccable lives with smiles on our faces all the time. This is not church, right? Church is us coming together and speaking the truth to one another amidst our struggle with discouragement and doubt. This is why we exist. This is one of the reasons why we exist as the people of God, to, to do this for one another. You know, God has brought us together in fellowship through Jesus Christ, and, and He wants us to encourage and build one another up. Why? Because we are fellow members of the same body. God wants us to bear one another's burdens. Because the weight of doubt and discouragement is a burden too heavy for each one of us to carry on our own. You know, Galatians 6, right? Bear one another's burdens. You know, this is how we be the church. So really just two, you might, you might think, okay, how, do I, how do I begin to speak the truth into someone else's life? You know, that sounds very uh, difficult. <laughs> how do I begin? Just two basic questions, right? You might, write, you might want to just write these things down or, or commit them to memory. Just two simple questions. One is, how are you? Right, and I know we ask that of one another all the time, but sometimes we ask that and we don't really want to reply. Right? How are you? Fine. Okay, great. I can go on to the next person now. No, so, so sometimes it's good to kind of pause and think, hey, how are you? Really? Right? How, how are you? And then, and then be patient and wait for the reply. How are you really? Don't, don't just say fine, but I want to know how are you? Second question is, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? So you're responding to the first question, right? How are you? The person says something. And then, oh, great. How can I pray for you about these things? Right? So just two really, really 
simple, straightforward questions that you might want to ask each other after the service. You know, how are you? How can I pray for you? And then, you know, just take it from there. This is how we, this is how we be the church. So, ask ourselves, you know, how do we respond to our brothers and sisters when we hear of their struggles? You know, when someone tells you about their struggle with doubt, with discouragement, how do we respond? Are we, do we get impatient with someone else? Are we critical of, of someone else? Harsh? Judgmental? You know, if, if God is gracious toward us, then I, I believe we can also be patient, gentle, kind, and compassionate with one another. You know, Paul, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You know, encourage, help, patient. Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. You know, don't, don't crush them with the weight of your expectations, but, but have mercy on them. Help them. Come alongside them and strengthen them. When we are merciful, the church, our CGs, our relationships with one another become havens of rest for our weary souls. Uh, the, the church is a safe place for us to share our burdens with one another. God is greater than our heart. Not only is God greater than our heart, but He knows everything. Verse 20. You may think, oh, how, how is this encouraging? God knows everything. What? You know, he, that means He knows my sin too. He knows my struggles. He knows what I've done this week. He knows how I failed again and again and again. How, how is this comforting? Friends, exactly. God knows our failures. God knows our sins. God knows our imperfections. He knows. And yet, He still graciously chooses to love us. Isn't that amazing? That's what John is saying to us. God knows everything. And yet, God has still intentionally set His love on us. Our hearts tell us that we are sinners, but God says to us, hey, I've sent my son specifically for the purpose of saving sinners. Not saving self-righteous people, but saving sinners. God knows everything. And there's another aspect of this that's encouraging as well, because sometimes when we, you know, when we think about our own spiritual lives, we don't always notice our growth. It's a bit like, physical growth, right? Like I, I don't notice how tall my sons are getting because I spend every day with them and I see them. I don't notice the changes very much. But other people say, hey, you know, Zach has really grown taller. Like, oh, really? I don't know. I can't tell because <laughs> I just see them every day. And sometimes it's a bit like that in our spiritual lives as well. We, we don't see what's happening in our spiritual lives. You know? But we, we, we feel as if our spiritual lives are stuck in the trenches, right? We, we feel like we're not making much progress. But John says, hey, God knows everything. God sees the work that He has begun in us. God sees the, the mustard seed-sized faith that we have. God sees the, the tiny love that we've shown. God sees the imperfect but genuine obedience that we are striving to give to Him. 
He sees all that and he is pleased. God knows everything. He knows that we have crossed over from spiritual death to life. He knows that we are, we've left the, the kingdom of darkness and now have entered into the kingdom of light. So when we wrestle with discouragement and doubt, we can trust ourselves to God because He knows us better than we know ourselves. And, and He sees that little flame of spiritual life that He has kindled in us. God knows everything. And how does God assure us? John says in verse 24, By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Now we know that God is for us. We know that God is with us because we have the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is God's guarantee, His seal on us that we are His children. Paul in Romans calls Him the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, in, in that verse in Romans 8, it's very interesting, you know, the cry, Abba, Father, this, this cry is a cry for help. This, this is the cry that a child issues when the child's fallen, right? You know, when, when the child falls down, the instinctive thing for the child is, is what? Help, Dad, help. Mom, so this, this is the cry that Paul is talking about in Romans 8. This instinctive cry to God as Father for help. And, and this is the spirit of adoption. This spirit gives us a new heart. This spirit gives us new instincts that, that cause us to cry to God our Father and say, Help! Help, Dad! Help, Abba! This sense of intimacy and immediacy with God. This is God's... This is given to us by God's Spirit. The Spirit moves us to call out to our Heavenly Father for help. And in times of need, the Spirit assures us that we are God's beloved children, especially in times of need. You know, notice that God doesn't assure us when we are strong. God assures us when we've fallen down. Like a child who's fallen down crying, Help me, Dad. God assures us when we are weak. His Spirit moves us to cry, Abba, Father, Dad, help. That's what the Spirit does for us. So friends, this is how God assures us when we struggle with discouragement and doubt, God is greater than our hearts. Second way God assures us is, or rather second point of how to be sure is, we can be sure because we keep God's commandments. Now, I've spoken a lot about what God does, and this shouldn't give us a sense of, this shouldn't make us irresponsible, right? God is sovereign. He does these things for us. But, this, but what He does doesn't give us license to be passive or uh, complacent. So we cannot expect to have true assurance if we keep on disobeying God. We can be sure because we keep God's commandments. You know, it's, it's, it's trying to, trying to, Ex, you know, expecting assurance when we keep on disobeying God is like a guy who stands in the pouring rain, refuses to come indoors and wondering why he's always wet. <laughs> right? we, we, we can't expect assurance if we persist in disobeying God. That's why John says in verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So John says we, we know that we belong to God if we keep his commandments. 
God's imprinted His image on us and therefore we resemble Him in righteousness. So God doesn't assure us apart from our faith and obedience. God assures us along with our faith and obedience. So, so not, assurance comes not apart from faith and obedience, but assurance comes to us along with faith and obedience. So what does it mean to keep God's commandments? Look at, look at verse 23. You notice how John switches from the plural in the verse before that to the singular in verse 23. He goes from saying commandments, plural, to commandment, singular. And he says this is God's commandment, singular. If you want a commandment that sums up all of what God requires of us, all of what God expects and demands of us, here it is, verse 23. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Faith and love. These are really the, the heart of what God requires of us. Faith and love. So believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, in the Bible, God's name represents all of God's perfections, the perfections of His character. His name also represents His sovereign power to save. So to believe in Jesus' name is to trust in who Jesus is, in the fullness of His character, is to believe in what Jesus has come to do, to save. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is fully God in all of His power and glory. Jesus is also fully man. He is God come in the flesh, become like us, in order to identify with us. And Jesus came to do His Father's will, knowing that this would lead Him to death on a Roman cross. And Jesus came, He died as a sacrifice for sinners, bearing God's judgment in our place, if we believe in Him. And Jesus died so that we can be forgiven and brought back to God. Our, our sins are placed on Him. He bears the wrath of God in our place. And because of His obedience, God raised Jesus from the dead, glorifying His Son and declaring that there is no other name by which we must be saved. So when we believe in, in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, we, we are believing who He is and we're believing what He has come to do to save sinners like us. So John says this is really the heart of what it means to follow God, is to believe in the Saviour whom He has sent. So to be sure that we are God's children, we must first be sure about Christ. To be sure about that we are God's children, we must be sure about Christ. So we, we cannot bypass knowing Jesus and expect to have assurance. So we must know who Jesus is and what He came to do as the Bible reveals Him to us. So our assurance, our sense of certainty, our sense of hope is founded on Christ Himself. Right? As we've just sung many, many times this morning, you know, in Christ alone, my hope is found. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Assurance of salvation begins with assurance about Christ. So our assurance of salvation is not a subjective feeling, but rather it's the assurance that Jesus is who He says He is 
And Jesus, is, Jesus has come to do exactly what He says He will do. Our assurance is anchored not on our experience, but our assurance is anchored on the unchanging truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. So in times of doubt and discouragement, where do we look? Who do we look to? John says, keep looking to Jesus. Believe in His name. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Friends, when discouragement comes, don't focus, don't focus on your circumstances, don't focus on your struggles only, but focus on knowing Jesus better. Learn His Word. Grow in your understanding of who He is. Grow in your understanding of what He's come to do and what He is doing now and what He will do when He returns. So every time we read the Bible in our quiet times, every time we come to a CG and we study the Bible together, every time we gather on a Sunday, we should be asking this, we should be expressing this one desire. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. You know, don't, don't be content to leave your Bible reading without seeing the glories of Christ. You know, every time you go to CG, you know, kind of bug your CG leader, hey, show us Christ. <laughs> we, we want to, you know, it's like what the Greeks came, you know, they wanted to see, they, they asked of Jesus, or, hey, we want to see Jesus. Would you so, show us Jesus? Don't be content to leave a Bible study without seeing more of the beauty of Christ so that your hearts go towards Him and are strengthened in Him. Don't, don't be content to leave here on a Sunday without saying, hey, I, I want to see Christ. I want to see how He is my Saviour and, and how He is the one who gives strength. He is the one who anchors my life. He is the one who will save me on that final day. Show us Christ. Friends, we, we need to see more of Him, less of ourselves, more of Him. So this is how we encourage one another, not, not by sort of just looking at one another, but by looking by helping one another look beyond ourselves to look to Jesus Christ, by pointing one another to Christ, our great Saviour and friend. Now Claire and I flew back from the US once. Uh, we were upgraded to business class, so we, you know, it was a really nice flight. So Claire had a great time on, on the flight. She watched movies, ate amazing food, and slept really soundly. I had a terrible flight. <laughs> You know, I, I was just flat out the whole flight because I was suffering from a really bad bout of stomach flu. So as, as Claire was raving about the food, I was just going to... <laughs> I, I didn't eat anything at all on, on that 14-hour uh, flight. I had a stomach flu, I had a fever, I absolutely had no appetite on the whole flight. I was sick the entire time. And usually on flights, I love watching movies. But on this flight, I didn't do anything at all. I was just practically unconscious the whole flight. Now, let me ask you a question. Claire had an amazing experience. I suffered through the whole flight. Which, ones, which one of us arrived back home? Which one of us arrived back home? Both, right? Both. The answer is both. Because both of us were on the same plane. 
arriving safely home didn't depend on my experience of the journey. It depended on the plane and the pilot and so on. In the same way, friends, our hope of salvation doesn't depend on our experience of salvation. It depends on our Saviour, that plane that will carry us all the way home. Our hope of salvation depends on the one who is our anchor, the one who is the foundation and perfect, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because on, on our journey of faith, some of us who really enjoy the journey, some of us will have stomach flu the whole way. <laughs> right, on, on our journey of faith, some of us will, there will be times when we feel great, there will be times when we feel awful. Our joy may come and go on the journey of faith, but hey, it doesn't depend ultimately on our experience of the journey. It depends on Christ. So I, I love the words of this hymn. Uh, if you can flash the slide. Uh, this, we, we've sing this sometimes. You know, it, it's the, the hymn. I, think I, I hear the words of, I see the words of love, or I hear the words of love. And there's, this, there's these new standards in the hymn that I particularly like. It says, My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with Him remains the same. No change, my Saviour knows. I change, He changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine. The resting place. His truth, not mine. The tie. So to believe in the name of Jesus Christ means to be sure of Him, that He is our only Lord and Saviour. And, and John says when we, when we trust in Jesus, in this way, our lives will produce the good fruit of love. I think that's why John links faith with love. Right? When, when we trust in Jesus, that He is the anchor of our souls, we will love one another. That's why Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does it mean to love one another? As we heard last Sunday, we are not to love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 18, just the text above. So John says, you know, when we trust in Jesus, this faith in our hearts will produce practical love. Love that is tangible, love that is concrete, love that shows itself practically in all of our lives. So love that is just talk only, but no action is not love. Right. This, kind, this, this love that John talks about is action. It's committed, practical love. Yeah, and this is, why, this, is this is why it's so important for us to be a part of a local church. You know, we, we can't love our brothers and sisters if we are not in community with them. You know, if, if we're not in community with other believers, then who are we supposed to love? Right? We, we can love kind of in a general abstract sense, but who do we really love? Whose lives are our lives intersecting? So what does such love look like? What does it mean to obey God's commandment to love? Now here are some examples of, of, of love that I've seen in you, and, and I want to just encourage you with these examples because this is what's happening in our midst, and, and I pray that God will help us do so more and more, 
help us to love one another more and more. For example, uh, some women spend the night at the hospital with a dear friend in order to encourage her as she lay on her hospital bed. I know of members, some of us who have been reaching out to members who have been irregular, members who have strayed away into sin, and members have been faithfully calling them up, trying to meet with them, speaking truth to them. That's love. I know of members who intentionally stay behind after service just to greet newcomers. I, I know a member, I just had lunch with him recently, I know a member who, who makes a special effort to, to invite newcomers out for lunch so that he has time to speak with them at length. You know, that, that's love. That's practical love. Coming together to pray for one another in your CGs, coming together to pray as a church, that's love. Even now, we have a whole bunch of children's ministry teachers showing love by caring for our children, by discipling them in the gospel. That's love. Sacrificing time to do that. I know many of you open up your homes to invite others in, to share meals, to give hospitality. That's love. Many of you make time and effort to meet up with one another during the week, either to read the Bible or even just to share prayer requests, to encourage each other and to pray with each other. I mean, that's love. Friends, I am so encouraged by all these many examples of practical love that I see in our midst. And I pray that God will move us to do so more and more as we obey His commandment to trust in Jesus and to love like Jesus. You know, being a committed member of the church builds our love muscles. It's like going to the gym. You know, this, this act of love, this is bodybuilding, right? real bodybuilding. As, so as we grow in love, as, as we join together as a church, we practice love. As we grow in love in this way, friends, do you realize that you're also growing in assurance? Growing in love helps you grow in assurance. So being a part of the church is good for your assurance. Being a committed member of the church, loving others, helps you to be sure because this is the very place where you're practicing love as John speaks about in this text. So our commitment to actively love God's people shows that we truly believe in Jesus. So let me end with this. Why is it good to be sure? You know, we've talked about how to be sure, but why is it good to be sure? Why is this so important? Verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You know, we, we, we understand this in human relationships, right? Children who are most secure about their relationship with their parents tend to thrive. Children who are insecure, you know, you wonder, oh, my, will my dad leave? Does my dad love me? I don't know. Children who are insecure really struggle. And that's why, that's why it's good to be sure. Christian assurance it's about resting in our relationship with God Himself because we know that we are His beloved. You know, it, it's, a, it's a dramatic reversal of the situation we see in Genesis 3. Right? After the fall, what do Adam and Eve do? They run away from the presence of God. God appears and they hide because of shame, because of real guilt and shame. Not just a sense of shame, but very real shame prompts them to run and hide. Sin makes us flee from God. Sin makes us want to hide 
from God. But John says, hey, if, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You know, you know what does that mean? We, we don't have to run. We don't have to run. We can come before God with complete confidence and boldness. We can live openly before the very face of God. That's amazing. Which is exactly what the blessing in Numbers 6 speaks about. This, this open living before the face of God. Listen to this. The Lord makes, the Lord makes His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, this is what being confident before God looks like. To know the pleasure of God because, not because we are perfect people, but to know the pleasure of God because we belong to Him as His children. It's confidence. Friends, we can rejoice in God because He delights in us. We can know the God of we can know the joy of God's presence because He is our Father. So being sure gives us the boldness to draw near to our Heavenly Father. You know, recently Ian came in and, and he was really excited. You know, he says, Oh, I can finally get into the office. Now, I'm talking about my Ian, not Pastor Ian. <laughs> so so little Ian came came and said, Oh, I can finally get into the office. I's so excited. You know why? Because you know, Kokpui, you know, Kokpui's really been very kind to Ian. So let's Ian come into the office, goes into Kokpui's office, feeds Kokpui's fish. Uh, so Ian's been really excited about the access, the free access that he has to the church office. Uh, and I think Kokpui has, I don't know whether seriously or jokingly told him that he'll scan Ian's thumbprint onto the system as well. So Ian was really excited. <laughs> so so Ian, Ian gets so excited because he has access, right? It's open access to come in and out as he pleases, because he knows that he's accepted. Kokpui won't chase him out of the office. Friends, we have access. We have access. We realize that we have access, not just to some church office, but we have access to the almighty creator of all things. You know, we, we don't have to line up once a week to go see our MP, but we have access all the time to the almighty creator of the universe, confidence before Him. Friends, we can pray. We can pray. We should be more prayerful because we have access. And as we come to Him, we can be honest and completely open before Him, pour out our hearts to Him, bring to Him our struggles with discouragement, with disappointment, with doubt, and trust Him. Friends, if we are in Christ we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and delights in us. And we can be sure of Him. We can come to Him. So let's pray together and come to Him now. Gracious Father, we thank You and praise You. As we think about Your Word, we are amazed that You should hear us we are amazed that you should love us and give us your Son. So Father, as we come, we, we pray that you will fill our hearts with a renewed boldness, renewed confidence in you because of Jesus Christ. Help us to come to you trusting that you are our Father and we can bring to you our burdens and our cares and our struggles 
trusting that you love us and that you will help us. So Father, regardless of what we've gone through this week, regardless of what we will go through this coming week, we pray that you would fill our hearts with renewed confidence in you. To know that you see us because you see Christ in us and to know that you are pleased with us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what your Son has done for us. So strengthen us, we pray. May our confidence be in you. May our hope be in Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.